0: Welcome. Good morning. It's great to see you all. Um, my name is Eric and uh, it's good to be here with you. I hope to know most of your names. I know know most of you, uh, but if I don't get most of your names, uh, just come and introduce yourself, make yourself known. I should remember. Um, but welcome, welcome to the course. Welcome to Ecclesiastes. Uh, this is a really exciting, interesting kind of like, not the normal book that we, we normally go through. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited to jump into the meaning of Ecclesiastes and, and understanding what it means to fear God and to enjoy the gifts that He gives us. So I'm going to go ahead and pray to get started. And uh, yeah, we'll take it from there. Father God, we come before you in this time to open your Word and to learn from your Holy Scriptures. Spirit, we pray that you would give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear. Would you soften our hearts to be receptive, uh, to learn and to posture ourselves in humility. Uh, May we come before you in this time to learn and to sit at your feet, Jesus, as we understand the wisdom that you have imbued in this scripture and uh, how we might make sense of it. How we, might step into, uh, the, uh, how we might step into the, how we might step into to your Word and, and make sense of it for our lives. We ask that we, you would be with us during this time and uh, pray that that we would gain more m- and more knowledge of uh, of your Holy Word. In your name, Amen. Okay. So what do we know about Ecclesiastes? Just kind of off the top of your head, what are things that we've heard? What are maybe phrases, understandings of the book so far? You may have like no idea what this book is about, that's fine. Maybe you've heard some things. What do we know so far? Written by Solomon. Can you say that again? It was written, by Solomon. written by Solomon. Yes. A lot of people have thought it is written by Solomon. Randy. It is really hard to spell. It is really hard to spell. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I have misspelled it so many different times. Dark and cynical. Dark and cynical, yeah. Oh, I, I think a lot of people don't like engaging with this because it's like, oh man, like, seems depressing. <laughs> don't know what to do with this. What else do we know about Ecclesiastes? It be part of the wisdom literature. Yes. So, um, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Yes, totally. It's part of that little section of scripture that we uh, attribute as, as, as wisdom. So, yeah. And, oh, what's wisdom? What does that mean? So, other thoughts? Judy? vanity, meaningless, futility, what, (laughs) come on, what is it all about, yeah, that's great, yes, yeah, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, (laughs) yes, exactly, don't, 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 all of the books we can still read, it will, will still, (laughs) will have its effect on us, yes, I want you to imagine yourself as a Maybe just a, a bright-eyed, ambitious college student. Maybe you're. Think back to when you were like 17, 18 years old, ready to start life. Uh, let's say that you get into the school of your choice, and and you've just there's so much anticipation and excitement to go off and to start this new adventure, uh, to start this new thing in life. And you've learned everything that you know from your your parents or your family of origin, uh, or you know your schooling, all the way up until this point. You're just so excited to and hungry for more. And you finally arrive at the college campus and you get your dorm room set up and you meet your roommates and your future friends and you find out what you're going to be eating for the next three or four years or so. Oh yeah, good times. (laughs) And then you finally get to uh, the first day of class and and it's a class on the meaning of life 101. And you step inside the class and it's a big lecture hall. You sit down in the nice cushioned seats. You bring out your laptop, or maybe in some of your cases it was just a spiral-bound notebook. <laughs> and you get... <laughs> I know. <laughs> and so, nowadays it's an iPad. Um, and, uh, and you sit down in the class, and the teacher comes out, and you recognize this teacher because he has been kind of a renowned scholar. And you've seen him before on TV or in podcasts. You've read his books, and you're really excited to take a class from him. And the class begins... And the first things that you hear out of his mouth are this. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises is what will be and what has been done is what will be done and there is nothing new under the sun is there a thing of which is said see this is new it has already it has been already in the ages before us there is no remembrance of former things nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after I, the teacher, have been a king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted." I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this is also but striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much sorrow. And he who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. This is the word of the Lord. The purpose of this class is to understand and internalize the message of Ecclesiastes and to learn how we fear God and to enjoy the gifts he gives us. Now, think back to that that illustration about that bright-eyed college student who sits in the class and hears meaningless, meaningless, or vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity for the first time. You might be thinking to yourself... Is this guy crazy? Life has plenty of meaning. What What on earth? So you either have two, two options. The first option is, is to write him off as as just absolutely nuts. And the second option is to actually go down the rabbit hole with him and to see well, what, is, what is he actually trying to say here? Is everything meaningless? Is everything like this... Is everything vanity? Everything is, is futile. What, is he, what, is he, what does he mean by those things? Now, in order to understand that, we have to kind of look at the first point of, of, of this book. Here's kind of the message of the class. Okay, title and authorship. I'm going to move through this quickly because we have limited time and I, I want to make sure that we honor that for everyone here. Title and authorship. Um, so, the title in English, Ecclesiastes, um, we get that from the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. And it comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which some of you might understand as oh, that means to, to gather. And that's where we get our word church from, which is, is really fascinating. Um, and so, but the title in Hebrew is Kohelet, and that also means the one who gathers which often is translated in your books as teacher or a preacher. And Kohelet is the main voice of this entire book. There's actually two people who kind of put this book together. There's the author, um, who, as you can see in, in verse 1 right here, says the words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And then there's another voice that steps in. And, and he's the majority of the voice all the way up until about chapter 12. And says, yes, he's the um, Kohelet, uh, he's kind of the prominent voice in the book. He's the main critic of, of, of what we are hearing throughout the whole thing. There's a lot of people who think that he is King Solomon, son of David. Um, a lot of people also think that he could be a later unknown king in Israel just because the name Solomon is not mentioned. Uh, and, and there's also a lot of other people who think that he could be an Israelite teacher with kind of a Solomonic persona. Uh, but whatever that may be, we'll refer to him in this class as Kohelet, um, because I think that is the most most faithful response to this book. A uh, lot of options there uh, as to uh, where he is, but just for now, we'll we'll stick with Kohalit as kind of the main thing. Um, and uh, wisdom literature overview. Now, we talked a little bit about this beforehand. Um, what exactly is wisdom literature? Uh, you know, is this just how to be smart 101? Um, you know, how do we actually... engage with this sort of material. Uh, It's different than the Gospels, or it's different than Epistles, or it's different than poetry, uh, but it's it's just kind of a unique category in Scripture. And and I kind of defined it as this, a genre of ancient literature characterized by emphasis on teaching its audience the things necessary to attain virtue and to obtain divine favor. So primarily it's going to be the three books that Tom kind of mentioned to us, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Sometimes, uh, depending on who you talk to, Song of Psalms is, is, is thrown into there, um, but that can vary based on what commentaries you're consulting or, or who you're talking with. There's elements of, of wisdom that we do see throughout the, the, um, the Ketuvim, uh, and, and that's going to you know, vary on that. But primarily, um, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job are kind of the three staple ones that we say this is the, the trilogy here. Um, it's located in the Hebrew Bible. As, as I mentioned, I used kind of that fancy word that maybe some of you might be familiar with, but the Ketuvim or the writings. Now, when we think about our um, canon of Scripture, we, we know kind of how the Bible is organized from Genesis uh, to, to Malachi. Uh, and, and the way that has been comp- uh, composed is that it's, it's more of a chronological reading um, of how we have structured the Old Testament. But when we look at the Hebrew Bible, so to speak, uh, it has been organized a little bit differently we have the, uh, it, it has kind of an a abbreviation called Tanakh. So, Tanakh. And that stands for Torah, or instruction. The first five books of the Old Testament. And then the Navim. It's probably spelled that wrong. Um, Navim, which is, translates to Prophets. In Hebrew, and then the Petuvim. I know I'm probably spelling this wrong. That's fine, and and that's the writings. And here are the um, eleven books, and the as you know the the Hebrew Bible ends with First and Second Chronicles because it's it's kind of a overlap of everything that is that has happened thus far. The way that the Hebrew scriptures are organized um, are 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 to be they kind of build off one another. We get the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament that talk about the story of origins and Israel and and how they came to be. And then we get the Navim, the prophets. Uh, We start to understand um, how this group of people is calling Israel back into worship with God, calling him back into his covenant presence. And then we get the writings, history of Israel, but also um, a Also, books that serve as faithful reflection on these two things and are concerned primarily with what has happened so far. Um, How do we make sense of the story that is being told from here to here and now to here? This is where wisdom literature comes in because it's looking primarily at what went wrong, what really went wrong. And how can we get back into being, into covenant partnership with Yahweh? How do we think about the life that we share uh, with God? What does it actually mean to live in his presence? How has he structured the world? And how do we abide with him faithfully in creation? And and this is where we get things like the Proverbs, uh, in which... We learn how God has structured the world, and it's almost like a, a faithful friend that we can go to when we are having a tough time, uh, and, we, and we can come to the Proverbs and say, like, yes, like, what, what's some great advice that I can have for living life, and it will give you the idealized version of, of yes, this is how how we live life, this is how we understand, um, this is how we particularly understand how God has shaped the world and how we can live according to it. But then we come to Ecclesiastes, because Ecclesiastes will tell us that. You think that wisdom is going to help you? There's been plenty of instances where we have used God's wisdom and it doesn't work. <laughs> we live in a broken, fallen world. How do we make sense of life when God's wisdom just doesn't seem to pan out? We Think about plenty of times that you, you've heard the proverb quoted, you know, train a child up in the way it should go you know, according to the Lord and, and they won't depart from it. How many people like, have either have, have trained your child up in the way of the Lord and, and they are probably not even walking with Jesus right now. Or maybe you know a family that is, is, is going through that trial right now. This is, this is where Ecclesiastes meets us and says, I see you. <laughs> I understand you. And, 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 and it's a space where we can process that trauma and that grief and, and come to grips with reality as the teacher slowly begins to deconstruct the world around us and reconstruct it into something beautiful. How are we doing? Yeah, Tom, go for it. Questions, comments? So,
1: um, I listened to a um, uh, Bible project this morning.
0: Excellent. And they
1: said that the smoke, they, um, they weren't uh, meaningless, it mm-hmm. was smoke. Yeah. In literal, hevel. Yes. Um, and that it was differently meaningless, it means it's hard to grasp.
2: Exactly. Yes.
1: So, is meaningless a incorrect uh, translation of, of that concept?
0: We'll get to that. Ho, 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 we'll get to that. That's going to be fun. Yeah, don't worry. Man, Tom is just, he's just biting at the heels. He's like ready for it. So, yeah, that's what we're going to jump into next. Questions on that? Any of this right here? Making sense? Sounds good. Do you think of anything else, come talk to me later. Um, but, yeah, let's jump into Tom's question here. Why do you think the author says everything is meaningless, vanity, futile? Uh, this is a, a question that, hey, people around you, let's let's get into like little groups. Um, I'm not going to tell you how many, but just talk with, with the person next to you, your neighbor. Why do you think the author says this in regard to the pursuit of wisdom, vanity of vanities? Why is everything meaningless? Is everything vanity? Is everything futile? Think about those things. And uh, I'll give you guys a couple minutes to come up with a, a good answer. Ready, go. Okay. Let's wrap things up. All right. I'd love to hear what you discussed about in your small groups let's, let's just be theologians together let's come up with uh, some sort of meaning despite the meaninglessness um, so what do you think the author is, is saying about everything is, is meaningless or everything is vanity or, or futile what, it, you know, what, it, what, was, what did your discussions lead you to in, in light of this yes Donna. Um, he was saying yeah. riches don't
2: satisfy and if and it is Solomon he had everything oh yeah and he discovered that earthly relations don't even satisfy. You're constantly seeking yeah. for satisfaction without God. Yeah. That could be
0: the point he's making. Look at all this stuff on the earth that is meaningless. Yes. It doesn't satisfy. Oh yeah, yeah. It um, it's it's just it's it's temporary, right? Um, it's here for a moment, but we we don't take it with us when when we die. Uh, it it's left here. Uh, or it can change. You know, the value of you know, look at our economy today and just the the value of of money. Yeah, it, it, what was valuable beforehand <laughs> can definitely change to, to be not valuable the next day. So yeah, definitely. Um, thank you. Others, other thoughts? Yes?
3: Yes, yeah, so she was saying, like, right off the bat, this book, it's like looking at what is life like mm-hmm. inside of God. Mm. We're just looking around, around us. Oh yeah. Everything's just this fleeting <laughs> and meaningless. Oh, yeah. We can feel that even as believers. Yes. But how much more so believers who don't have hope.
0: Excellent. Yes. Thank you, Alex. Yep.
3: That's like he, he adds
0: under the sun. Yes. Kind of like not under God, but under, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Man, you guys are good. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, here we go. Yeah. What is, is what is, What is meaning outside of life with God? Great question. Great question. Other thoughts? Other things we want to add to this conversation? I a thought. Yes?
1: Yeah. Uh, is it, I think the focus seems to be very selfish, self-centered. Yeah. He's not talking about world, what he can contribute. Yeah. Um, that's not what your country can do for you. That's what you can do for your country. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> he, this guy, you know,
0: Solomon was so focused on himself. It seemed like it, himself.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, and if it is Solomon, or whoever is writing under a Solomonic guise, whatever, it's, it's right, let me just say, hey, it's right for you to see it as, as Solomon, whether it was him or it was someone, you know, the Hebrews often did this, they, they wrote so you could try to see things from their, their point of view. Um, yeah, totally. Had, like, what was it like looking from his perspective on, on everything that he is, uh, and how he has lived his life? Uh, what was the purpose outside of God? Um, was, it, was it self-centered? Uh, what was, is it God-centered? That's, that's really great. Thank you. I've said before that, um, you know, either here or maybe at the calling, I've said before that, that we can think of words as somewhat like suitcases for uh, ideas. Now, when they were coming up with this word, you know, so, so in some of our translations it says vanity, um, it says meaningless, it says futile. Uh, and Tom brought up a really great point looking at the word hevel as uh, smoke. Or vapor. Now, yes, that's actually you know what it, 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 it translates to. So when we're looking at it, you can say smoke, vapor. Says says the teacher, smoke. Everything is is is, is vaporous smoke. Uh, and it's not necessarily true. This cart here is not ne- vaporous smoke. I am not vaporous smoke. Um, but what he's doing is he's trying to un- un- get you to understand that there is a. He's using a metaphor uh, and and saying yeah, everything is is like this vaporous smoke sort of thing. Uh, and so when this guy named Jerome was, was translating the Bible from its original language into Latin, he came across this word and thought to himself, hmm, okay, so how do I make sense of this? Well, um, well vapor, everything is kind of smoke or vapor. So this figure of speech is probably uh, one for me to think of. Everything is kind of like different. It's constantly changing. I can't grasp it okay, well, we'll assign the word vanitas for this. So that's where we get the word vanity. That's where we get meaningless, uh, maybe sort of thing. Uh, But the Hebrews, uh, in kind of an in-depth study on this particular word called hevel, this is kind of how it is spelled out. And Once again, Hebrew scholars in the room, please don't shoot me for my beautiful calligraphy here, um, is this word called hevel. And that's what we get right here. Um, and, uh, and, and, and in thinking about how this actually does mean smoke or vapor, how might it have been thought of is that it's a conundrum or a puzzle, like we're trying to figure this out. And so every time we see this word show up, it shows up all over the place in Ecclesiastes. Every time we see this word right here, it's, it's almost like he's saying everything's a puzzle. I'm trying to grasp it. I can't figure it out. I can't contain this sort of thing. He'll be like, look, here's this thing, it's utterly heavy. Or it's, it's an enigma. I can't seem to understand what this is because the shape is changing or I reach out and I grasp it and then it, it seems to slip away from me and, and I can't seem to contain it like I do everything else in my life. But yet, it's just always getting away from me. Always trying to escape. The tragedy of life's painful realities Meet us here. Is is life really about how much money I can make? You know, why did my friend have to die? Why did I have to bury my child? Why is abuse so prevalent in our society? How come justice never seems to actually win at the end of the day? And if life has no meaning, then why do these particular things where this word keeps showing up matter to us? And so I think... I think this is what Kohelet is, is, is really trying to get at. How do you hold the life that you have been given? When, when you are confronted with the things that seemingly escape you how, do you, how do you hold those things? Do you grasp on tightly, knowing that it will just shoot away from you the next second? Uh, or do we hold it with open hands? Thoughts, comments, questions? How are we doing? Yes?
4: It's it's almost like the translation of the word into meaningless Mm -hmm. really conveys almost the opposite idea. Yes. It's really that it's just complicated.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And
4: there's a lot of meaning there. It's hard to get at it. Yes. So when we read it as meaningless or futile, it's like, why bother to think about it? Yeah. Whereas the purpose is the opposite. It's like, no, you do need to think about this. Exactly. Because
0: it's complicated. Yes. It's, It's not as empty as we would think it to be. A lot of the times we are just like, oh yeah, it's just kind of this emptiness. Yeah, l- life means nothing. And, and that even informs maybe our tr- interpretation or our stereotypes of how we approach this book. Because oftentimes we're, we're thinking to ourselves, yeah, well, why do I want to look at this if nothing has meaning? I'm like, all right, cool. I've got the idea of the book right here. Because sometimes, you know, you can read books like that in our world. They, like you, you, you open up the first chapter and then you read their whole thing and you're like, okay, I pretty much know the whole book now. Everything's meaningless. <laughs> No, not exactly. This this draws us into, it's complicated, it's a puzzle. I'm trying to figure it out. Help me figure this out. (laughs) And so what we'll see week after week, time and time again, is that the the hardest places of our life that that seem the most puzzling, that should seem easy to to figure out, uh, actually are are a lot more complicated and difficult than than we can imagine them to it's It's easy for for me to tell somebody, Hey, go ahead, like you've got plenty of money, retire like enjoy the rest of your life uh but it's it's difficult. I don't want to step away from the job that I loved and I have to give it to somebody else who might screw things up the way that I started things uh or who who won't continue my legacy or or the idea that man, like there's so much injustice in the world it's It's almost like I wish I was never born because then I wouldn't have to experience this painful life. That's Life is even a puzzle in, in, in that way. Yes. Yeah, Claude. Eric, one of the few times the word is used specifically
2: uh, in, in outside of Ecclesiastes, yeah. is in Isaiah 49. Yes. is one of the servant songs. Mm. It's, the same, it's the same person that suffering service as in Isaiah 53. Yeah. And in the opening verses of 49 suffering servant serving Jesus mm-hmm. to God and said all of my work is you is evil. yes all is yeah. there's no place in the gospel where we see where Jesus talking to God saying what was my point of coming here yeah but if this prophecy has something to it and I'm sure it does then this idea of working and nothing
0: coming of it even affected Jesus himself Oh if i important in the gospel absolutely Specifically, even though that Jesus never quotes Ecclesiastes, he was swimming in this book. Like this is what they read in synagogue. Um, they had this memorized. They understood that this was, this was part of the, the great wisdom literature. And, and my hope is that in this class that we will all be able to comprehend and see that, while well, Jesus never directly quotes this book, the understanding of, of, of the wisdom and, and the Old Testament fuels and structures how Jesus teaches and, and how he calls us back to be in relationship with God. Thank you for that. That's really insightful. Another question for you guys. Let's get into groups again. So what do you think Kohelet is trying to communicate when he says there's nothing new under the sun? Uh, we we heard this phrase about, you know, life seemingly outside of, of, of God's rule and control. Um, and, you know, Kohath says, there's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. I'll just read this verse right here. All things are full of weariness. This is verse 8. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. You can look at the verses that come before and come after to maybe form your thoughts on this. Get into your groups. Uh, people around you, let's talk about what, is, what does that mean, life under the sun. Ready, go. Okay. I'd love to hear from you all. What do we think Kohelet is trying to communicate when he says, there's nothing new under the sun, or this phrase under the sun. What, this is something that we'll keep repeating. Over and over and over and over again. See, I I
1: don't get it, because there's lots of new things.
0: There's <laughs> lots of new things. I, I
1: remember personal computers were a dream when I was a kid.
0: Oh, my gosh. And now it's
1: like everyone has their
0: laptop. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're on our wrist now, you know.
1: <laughs> so I, I don't get it, when there's nothing new in this.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's what? Yeah, I don't understand that. It's wild. Yeah. There's nothing new. Th- new things are happening all the time. Uh, look at Look at everything that Elon Musk is doing. What, you know, like... <laughs> you know wants to put computer chips in people's brains like come on like that's, that's new interesting hmm. nothing new under the sun what, what is meant by this yes well I think it's
5: interesting at the very beginning of
0: the Bible we see the
5: Tower of Babel oh yeah we see humanity rising up to a, a oh. new height oh and it comes to nothing oh and we see that happened
4: <coughs> many times even
5: before Ecclesiastes. Many
0: thousands of times since. Interesting.
4: So, okay.
0: at, at
5: that point, that you know,
0: technological differences are yeah. fairly shallow. Yeah. Yeah. Civilizations come and civilizations go. Um, and they all have their own stories, but, you know, the, you know, it's, there's similar things. You look at civilizations that have come before us and, and we think, wow, they, they, there's similar, like, narratives uh, that, that happen with their society and our society, and even, even generationally uh, speaking. There's, there's things and challenges that we go through uh, that the next generation is, is going to experience as well. So, yeah. Yes. Let's keep going. What else do we have here? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yes. <coughs>
1: we're talking about the
2: structure
1: of where
2: this writing comes right before yeah. wisdom literature is the prophets. Yes. Of yeah. there, the prophets are saying those facts and things.
0: Yeah. Yes. And so that made me think about there's nothing to be found at the time we know what we're striving for. Yeah. Um, don't get lost. Yes. Totally. Yeah, it's not like we're, you know, think about some of the things that are going on in our society today. Um, I don't have to list them. You, you probably already know what comes to your mind um, with what we see on TV or just on our um, phone newsreel feeds or whatever that may be. Uh, you know, this is, this is nothing new. <laughs> this, is, this is a world full of, of sin and chaos and death and destruction. Uh, it is just reiterated over and over and over again. And there's, that is, is nothing new. Everyone has, has faced a challenge like this of some sorts in the narrative that is taking place. Yes. Yes. Mm, mm. Yes? What else
4: I also think is really interesting is that the, the problem has always been the same, but the solution has also always been the same. We've been pre
0: incarnate Jesus. Yeah. The solution has always been faith in Christ. Mm hmm. Faith in, in who God is. Yeah, so there's a difference between. Um, seemingly, between the world that we are creating for ourselves and also the world that God has created, as uh, you know, for, for us. And so, yeah, we're, we're starting to we're starting to pick up on on these things. Yes, Matt. Well,
4: uh, it's like when you read the Bible, yeah. or even older
2: books or something. A lot of times, it's timeless.
1: yeah, yeah,
2: things are the same. Yeah, related to yeah, it even. Even to society. Yeah. You read books from 1700,
0: 1600. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You go like this, it's big. Yeah. Yeah. Our English classes, you know, when we're reading these older books that came out a long time ago, we're like, how does this relate to our world, you know? Oh, yeah, a lot of different things, you know. The way that they're expressing it allows us to jump in and unpack things and thoughts that they were having about uh, at this time and is even related, relatable to our world. Yes. So, I mean, the
4: author here is definitely trying to make his point by by starting off with some things we can't really do anything about, like the sun rising or setting, or yeah. the, yeah. the water flow. It's like yeah. if you read through this, like, okay, there are a lot of things about this world that we can't like turn it mm-hmm. back. To yeah, and it's just going to keep going, but we see those things change at the end of the Bible in the Book of Revelation, yeah. where the whole Ooh. world is made renewed and. Yeah, our relationship to the sun changes. Yeah. Our relationship to the, yeah. The water flowing out of the new city—it's like, it's a new stream—and so things really change
0: then. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, guys, we've we've reached the point. This is this is great. Did you want to add anything? Yeah.
1: Comes to me
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What about it? You're always looking for something better. Yes. Yes.
1: What somebody else
0: has. Ah, yeah. And instead
1: of staying with God and what He has provided for you,
0: you're trying
1: to see what everybody else has and see if you can't work
0: into that. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, motives. Absolutely. Must want to put chips in people's brains because
1: motive is similar to motives from the past.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's 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 absolutely it. Um, there have been world leaders and people with a lot of money that you know want to enslave people, <laughs> and uh, you know that's yeah, totally. I don't know if that's where he's going, but you know, hey, take what you want with it. Um, we've reached the point. Okay, we've talked about this whole thing, and we've I've heard a lot of great things. Okay, now this is really fun. Okay, watch, watch. Okay, so. So it has a specific relationship with this word, hevel. Uh, it, it marks. We've talked about it looks like vaporless smoke, meaningless, futile. Um, this is what's really fascinating about this word, is because this this word actually first appears in Genesis four. The name that we give to this word um, when we're talking about people is. Abel. This, this is the word that is used to describe Abel's name in Genesis chapter four. There's, which a lot of scholars really are just oh they're fascinated by this. The the name for Cain, uh, you know, comes from the word together, (laughs) and the word Kohelit is, you know, eventually, you know, Hebrew has changed over time to this point. It's the one who gathers. That's really interesting. And he's talking about Abel. Abel. Everything is Abel, you know. When we think about the story in Genesis 4, Abel's not around so long. <laughs> he's born, he offers a sacrifice, and then he, he dies. He's gone. He's there one moment, and then gone the next, so I like to think about my, to myself, like, why is this, you know, Kohelet person referencing able, able, everything is able, and uh, I, I think that's because he's he's trying to get us to understand what life under the sun really is, and that's the world outside of God's presence and power, like what we've mentioned before. Um, when and my junior high pastor gave a, like a, an incredible analogy for this, but. When God created the world and he gave us the Garden of Edom, um, Eden, Eden is like a little piece of heaven that he has placed on earth here for us. It's a, a beautiful overlap of, of God's kingdom and, his, and, and the life that he desires for us and, and it has invited us as his creatures to live with him in that space. But we said, you know... I think we, we can create a, a better world outside of, of God's power and his presence and so we reached for fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, uh, the life that we want to grasp onto outside of God's power. And so the logical thing for, for us then was to be outside of, of God's presence and power because we declared that we can live in a better world, a world of our own making and, and we see that narrative unfold in Genesis 4, we, we, we see the, the, the children um, of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, who are living outside of the Garden of Eden, trying to make it in this world, undergoing the painful toil and labor that they have uh, experienced within the fall itself. Uh, and so, you know, as, we, as we look at the story of Cain and Abel and we, we think about what they are specifically doing, um, if 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 Garden of Eden is a place where where God is with us it 's it 's a it 's a temple and and it's, it 's it 's a place where where we can be and and have fellowship and commune with god and even in that temple space there is a, a sacrifice God kills animals in order to to cover the humans for their sin and so what Cain and Abel are doing outside of the garden seems seems to me to think that they are they're trying to get back inside. And, 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 and they're trying to offer what is right so they can go and be with God again. I believe that's what the, the narrative is telling us. And so, able, able, everything is able. What is the life that we try to construct outside of God's presence and his power? Um, how are we making sense of this? And this, this becomes a, a, a paradigm for how we see the rest of the book. Um Kohelet will come and he'll say, this is Hebel. It's, it, you know, it's, this is the puzzle. This is what... Everything is utterly enigmatic." Um, and then he'll say something like, you know, life under the sun. Here's the pattern of life we build outside with God. Uh, you, you'll see this next week, uh, specifically. Here's life under the sun. Here's, here's what happens. Here's, here's the, the puzzle that we are facing. And then... What Kohelet is going to do is he's not going to say life is meaningless here, but he's going to say there is nothing better. I have seen that there is nothing better than to eat and to drink and to enjoy the life that God has given us, to seize the day, the way back to God's presence and power, to enjoy life instead of commiserating over its brokenness, to enjoy his gifts. Do You hear... Do you hear the melody that is, that is being played over and over? This paradigm will become a way for us to engage with the scripture. Um, it doesn't happen all over the place in Ecclesiastes, but mainly when we look at this class, we are going to be encountering these places. Where is the hevel? Where is the life under the sun that Kohelet is talking to us about? And that there is nothing better to, to enjoy the life that God has given us. Any questions on that? Yes, Donna?
2: I just looked up the meaning of Abel. Yeah. And it says it means breath to remind Abel of the breath of life force that's within him. Yeah. Not the negative meaningless. Yeah. Paper. paper. Yeah. But, but, you know, Jesus or God breathed into him out of the breath of life. Yeah. To remind him of the life
0: force within The smoke the vapor, the breath. Yeah, it has the lexical gloss of, of, of that understanding. And, you know, over time, uh, as I was saying before, the, uh, you know, when Jerome looked at that, he thought to himself, oh, okay, what they're trying to describe here is vanity. Um, but in reality, he's, he's looking back at this thing and saying, look, um, it's, it's actually kind of more so of a, a puzzle or a conundrum. The way that he is using this word. So yes, it does mean that. That's that's absolutely correct. Um, but the way that he is intending to use this um, is, is understanding of it's, you know, it's here for one moment and it's, and it's gone, like a breath, <sighs> like you know when it's 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 a cold day outside, um, it's like every day in Washington, and uh, and you can see the breath in front of you. It's there for one moment. It's gone. Um, so yes, that's uh, that is what it means. There's a big lexical range of words. Uh, Think about how, like, in the 1940s, the word hipster was used to describe a person who really liked jazz music. And now, uh, when I think of the word hipster, it's just people in Portland who wear beanies and bikes and, you know, like third-wave coffee shops and vinyl records and who probably are my age. So, (laughs) yes.
2: Uh, Claude. uh, Just on this theme of etymology, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes that first letter, A, Yes. Is etym- etymologically equivalent to Olive. yes. And the two are interchanged. Oh fascinating. And if that table's name oh, is related to Sorrow. Oh fascinating.
0: So yeah. That what? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty great. That's pretty yeah, I always wondered the um, you know, I was wondering I was like, oh, where did they get the A uh, added right there? That's pretty good. Um, I always wondered how they, they, they ended up there and the construction of that name, especially within Genesis four right there. Um, so yeah, great. Thank you. I I actually wanted to know what that was. So, what? Let's. I mean, going off Claude's question real quick. Why is there much sorrow with wisdom? Think about that for a minute. Why is there much sorrow with wisdom?
1: <laughs>
0: I like that. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Why? Why does wisdom there's much sorrow? Verse eighteen. It's
1: man's wisdom. Yeah. Um, um, I was thinking. Uh, life under the sun or well, we live life under the S-O-N. Yeah. Um, so there's a difference between the breath of man yeah. and the breath of God. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, what Donald was saying about um, you know, uh, uh, breath. Yeah. Well, Abel had, maybe he had the breath of God. Yeah. And, 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 and so
0: whoever the author is here is, is talking about the breath of man.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. It's uh, that's that's something to think about, (laughs) Judy.
2: I think even as for
1: you as we experience this, in that as we mature and are more aware of our sin, then that brings sorrow. Oh yeah. Are still
0: sinning. Yeah. Oh yeah, because you see, you see what how the world actually is, and it's like that young college student. Who's left the world? Who's left their home, <laughs> and has been so bright-eyed and ambitious? Now encounters the reality of this is the way the world works. How do I live in it, Alex? I
3: was going to say that this, this reflection on Cain and Abel yeah. is, is really fascinating. Yeah. Because it's really the first big story about. Well, okay, we have. This creation narrative, beautiful. Everything is good. We're made in mm-hmm. image. We're rejected from the garden, and there's like, hey, these bad things are going to happen. Yeah. And then it happens. Yeah. And it's like, here is here is Abel, who does what is good and right. At least that's how he's presented in the text. Yeah. And yet he's murdered. Yeah. Before his time.
2: Oh yeah. And it's like, oh yeah.
3: The, this aspect of like, that is the first question. Right. It's mm-hmm. like we're in we're in this world, mm-hmm. and the one who loves God. And who Doing what is good and right, means a bad end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does this mean? Yeah. What is this life we're living? Yes. This is now the question we have to wrestle with because evil seemed to have won out. Yes. And now, you know, maybe wisdom is like
0: even the ground sees now what is good and evil. Oh yeah. Rise out against us. Yes. It's just everything is wrong. Yeah, and that's what I think Ecclesiastes exactly is. It's this reflection on looking looking at once, what once was in the story. And, and saying, yeah, how do we how do we make sense of the ableness of life, um, and 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 what happens with that injustice, and and Cain goes off and builds a city of his own with descendants and evil and and other things keep continuing down on to Lamech and his two wives that he treats like property, and uh, yeah, it's yeah, what is it? It invites us into that that thoughtful reflection and gets us to think about how the world works and what, and what this is. Thank you for that. Yeah. Jesus
3: was the man of sorrows. Yeah. He carried our
0: sorrows. Yeah.
3: He is the ultimate
0: wisdom. Yeah. But he came to pay for our sin. And Absolutely. do that for us. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And with that being said, let's think about the ministry of Jesus. How does this tie into following him? Each week, we'll be looking at the ministry and, and how this book will help us see how Jesus shapes our life just through the book of Ecclesiastes, mentioned before that I don't think there's any specific evidence where he's actually quoting the book, um, yet his teachings are saturated in this understanding. And I think uh, someone like Richard Bauckham would probably say uh, that the way that Jesus teaches, uh, its platform and where it is formed from is, is, is at its core Jewish wisdom literature. Okay. If you want to understand maybe the essence of, of how Jesus is, uh, Jesus is teaching, you, you look at the prophets uh, and you look at the writings as well. This you know, will form a good base. And, and of course, they'll all be on this bedrock of Torah. But you know everything, the ministry of Jesus right here, will, will teach us. Um, we'll will incorporate all of these different aspects into, into his teaching. Um. One thing I, I found really interesting is that the, the number one book that Jesus quotes oftentimes is is the Psalms, all over the place. He is quoting the Psalms everywhere, uh, and uh, but Ecclesiastes, his his teachings and how he, we approach Jesus is is saturated in that wisdom. It is uh, John fifteen nine through ten? He says this: "As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep My commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. I assure you, anything you ask my Father's name, he will give you. Following Jesus um, has kept the Father's commands, enables us to find that completeness and joy, to fear God, and to enjoy his gifts. Uh, similarly, we look at Luke 11, 11 through 13. What father among you, if his son asks for fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of Him? Throughout this book, we are going to be seeing how God is the giver of good things. Sometimes, in uh, when life gets difficult, the first thing we can do is to say, God. Why did you let this happen to me? Why why am I undergoing this whole thing? Uh, in reality, while God might permit these things, he really invites us to trust him, to see life from his hand, and that God is a giver of, of good and and wonderful things. The difference between happiness and joy is not because I'm just trying to put a happy face on when I'm going through tough times, when there is a death of a loved one, or there is injustice that happens to me, or I'm going to die, the understanding is that I am choosing joy. And I am choosing to live life from the hand of God and to be thankful for what he has given us. And to understand that he is a good father. Even though bad things happen to good people, um, God is still a good and trustworthy father. So... Jesus teaches us to, um, oh, that's out of place. Like Ecclesiastes, Jesus says to follow his commands as he has the fathers, to fear God and to see God as a giver of good things, not bad things, to enjoy his gifts. And, and this is the essence and the heartbeat and the melody of what we will experience in this class. And my prayer is that, uh, is that we would enter into this faithful discussion together. And be able to not cover all of Ecclesiastes. I don't necessarily know if I'm going to be, do, we're going to be doing that. Um, but places uh, where we are given opportunities to seize the day, or to say there is nothing better than to eat and to drink and to enjoy the life that's given us. Uh, I'll close with this uh, quote uh, from a professor of mine, uh, Dr. Russell Meek, who lives up in Idaho. He says. Ecclesiastes gives us a paradigm for processing the injustice and pain we experience, and it shows us that our experiences are not all that unique. It gives us a language for expressing the truth of what we see around us. But Ecclesiastes doesn't leave us with only an acknowledgement that things aren't the way they should be. If it did, that would be okay. Ecclesiastes presses forward, further into our pain, anger, and disillusionment, giving us two tools to navigate a world turned upside down, fearing God and enjoying his gifts. We cannot control life. And the only thing we can do is to accept it with open hands and to practice the fear of the Lord and to enjoy what he has given us. Um, Friends, I want to show this final... video from the Bible Project. Uh, It's a couple minutes long, and then we'll get out of here. But just to have this in your minds as we uh, go through the class, and and I think Tim Mackey and the guys over here do an incredible job at narrating what the book is about and and how we can think about these things together. So, uh, could someone hit the lights for me, please? Thank you, Lucas what I do without you? We're
5: exploring three books in the Bible known as the wisdom literature. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And they're all asking the question, what does it mean to live well
1: in this world?
5: So we've looked at Proverbs, who you could think of as a bright yes, yeah. young teacher. She's all about pursuing wisdom, an attribute of God that's woven into reality. And she's optimistic that if you use wisdom, you will build a successful life. But then we come to Ecclesiastes, who's more like this sharp middle-aged And he says, you think using wisdom will bring
3: you success, you better think again. Because life here under the sun is meaningless. And that's a phrase he uses a lot in this book. But to understand this book, we have to realize first that we're hearing two voices.
5: So first there's the teacher, and we've been calling him the critic. He's the main voice in the book. But he is introduced to us by another figure, the author. And he's the one who's collected the critic's words and then at the end of the book summarizes everything and gets the final word. So <laughs> why does the author want us to hear from the critic? Well, he wants to turn your view of the world upside down. And he's going to let the critic explore three really disturbing things about the world. And we should warn you, these are pretty intense. Yeah. So the first is the march of time. Or as the critic says, generations come, and generations go. But the Earth, it's been here long
3: before us and will be long after. No one remembers people from long ago, and all the people yet to come, they too will be forgotten by those
5: who come after them. And so, on a cosmic scale, you and I, we are just a flip. Stars are born, and then they die and form planets which orbit new stars, and those planets, they change over time and eventually burn And amidst this cosmic backdrop, my entire existence is like a point in time. Which leads to the critic's second disturbing observation that we are all going to die. Humans face the same fate as the animals. Death. All people. The righteous and the wicked. The good and the bad. Those who offer sacrifices to God and those who do not. They all share the same destiny. All this activity and madness then all join the dead. Man, this book is depressing. And so is the final disturbing thing for the critic, and that is life's random nature. So in Proverbs, life isn't random. There's a clear cause and effect relationship between doing the right thing and being rewarded. But the fact is that life doesn't always work that way. The critic has observed a glitch in the system. He calls it chance. Or, in his words, the race
3: doesn't always go to the swift or the battle to the strong. Nor does food always come to wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the educated. Time and chance happen
5: to them all. So his point is that you can't really control anything in life. It's just way too unpredictable. So if I want some master life, then you're setting yourself up for a fall. Now, throughout the book, the critic uses a metaphor to tie together all of these disturbing ideas. Nearly 40 times, he says that everything in life is pebble. It's a Hebrew word that means smoke or vapor. Like smoke, life is beautiful and mysterious. It takes one shape, and before you know it, it takes a new shape. And smoke looks solid, but try and grab it, it'll slip right through your fingers. And when you're stuck in the thick of it, like fog, it's impossible to see clearly. Now, our modern translations have lost the metaphor, and they usually translate pebble as meaningful. But if you read closely, the critic isn't saying that life has no meaning, but rather that its meaning is never clear. Like smoke, life is confusing, it's disorienting, and uncontrollable. So, what are we supposed to do with all of this? Well, surprisingly, the critic, first of all, acknowledges the perspective of the Proverbs. He says it's a really good idea to learn wisdom and to live in the fear of the Lord. Really? I mean, he just said that doesn't guarantee success. But he knows it's the right thing to do. But secondly, and more often, he says that since you can't control your life, you should stop trying. Learn to hold things with an open hand, because you really only have control over one thing, and that's your attitude towards the present moment. Stop worrying, he says, and choose to enjoy a good conversation with a friend, or the sun on your face, or a good meal with people that you care about. The simple things in life. Yes, and both the good things and the bad, because both are rich gifts from God. And that's the surprising wisdom of Ecclesiastes. Listening to the critic is painful and can lead you into some dark places. And that's why the author speaks up at the end of the book. He doesn't want you to lose hope. He wants to make you humble. It's to someone who trusts that life has meaning even when you can't make sense of it. That one day God will clear the heaven and bring his justice on all that we've done. And so he tells us that the proper response to all of this is to fear the Lord and keep his commandments. And that's the book of Ecclesiastes. Now there's one more voice in the Bible's wisdom literature, and that's the book of Job. And he will bring us the final, much-needed perspective on our journey into wisdom. Hey, thanks for watching this video. We make a lot more videos like this one here on our YouTube channel, so check them out. We believe the Bible is a... Uni- uh,
0: lights, please. Well, thank you for joining us today. We've gone a little bit over your time, but uh, grateful that uh, you all are here and uh, and that we can be together. Um, I'd like to highlight just two um, of the teachers in our class um, Alex Groh, standing right here, will um, be covering one week, and I'll also be leading uh, this course with David Bufford uh, over here as well, who'll be on for next week, talking about Ecclesiastes 2. Um, next Sunday, you your homework, uh, so you should take it, you definitely should. You're not being graded on this, but um, read and meditate on Ecclesiastes 2:1 through 26, um, and then you know the goal of this is, hey, just by March 28th, which is the last book, the last day of the class, uh, read the whole book. Um, read the whole thing. Try to understand what what God is saying here. How do we fear God and enjoy his gifts? And uh, The enjoyment of those gifts is what will lead us back to Eden and uh, will lead us back to the garden so we can be in the presence of God. So, questions, comments, closing thoughts? That's it. I'll pray for us and then we can take off. Father, thanks for your love for us and uh, for this world that you have given us. Life is hard, God. We go through many challenges and difficulties and things that are painful in this life. But there are people here who have seen more injustice and pain than maybe even I have in, in my life. But God, may this, may this time on Sundays become a, a holy space where we can come into your presence and to see that we can enjoy life from your hand. May we discover what those things are and how we might do that. And it might be painful to venture into those spaces where our world slowly begins to deconstruct (laughs) in how we think life is. But Lord, we, we pray for a faithful reconstruction. Uh, that in the midst of where our pain does not seem to have words uh, which can be adequately expressed uh, by our human tongues, may you give us the language for those spaces, Uh, and may we find ourselves in your presence in Eden with you once again. Uh, We pray that we look forward to uh, the, the life of the world to come that you give us, and And that now uh, is is preparation for that and and how we will abide in your everlasting kingdom. I pray for each and every one of us here this morning. May we embrace the grace of you, Lord Jesus, and and live in the love that you have for your church. In your name I pray, amen. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.